0: When it comes to this doctrine of water baptism, without debate, there's a great deal of confusion within the church. And, and, and beyond, you know, there's a great deal of confusion inside and outside of the church, and, and especially as we consider the conflicting concepts about the correct way to accomplish this sacrament of water baptism. And in order to understand the sort of confusion that we're we're facing this evening, you ought to know that some churches will insist that infant baptism is a real thing and is also necessary for salvation. But then there are also other groups that say that infant baptism is something that we ought to practice, but it's not necessary for salvation. Then there are the, there are, there are the churches that, that reject infant baptism and say that you know, only adults should be baptized and it's necessary for salvation. Uh, and then at the same time, there are the churches who reject infant baptism and only uh, you know, encourage adult baptism, but then they also say that it's not necessary for salvation. And then there are the Mormons who believe that you can be baptized by proxy, or in other words, that you can step in to baptismal waters and be baptized for somebody else who's already deceased. And they'll insist that that is necessary for salvation. And so here we find at least five different ways, or five different doctrines surrounding the doctrine of water baptism, five different ways that this may or may not be accomplished and depending on the tradition that you were raised up in, uh, you might be sitting here right now saying, I, I, don't, I, I was taught this, and I just don't know what to say about it anymore. And as we consider all the variations concerning this doctrine of water baptism, it becomes uh, really important for us to take some time to understand what we mean when we talk about the spiritual sacrament of water baptism. And with this as the goal, uh, I want to break down this study into three parts. First, we're going to define baptism. Then we're going to discover what the Bible says about baptism. And then thirdly and finally, we're going to develop the method of baptism that we use here at Calvary South Austin. So with that, let's take some time to define the word baptism. You know the word baptism, it speaks of submersion or immersion. That's right, it has nothing to do with sprinkling. Listen, if you got sprinkled when you were a baby over some baptismal font, that was not a baptism because you weren't submerged in anything. You were just kind of sprinkled, drizzled like a donut. You know, it was just kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's not a full immersion into water. The word submersion means to put something into water or some other liquid so that it's entirely under the surface. And one example that's oftentimes given is when you submerge cucumbers into vinegar. And, and when you submerge cucumbers into vinegar... Uh, well, you end up with a real pickle. So, And, and, and you know, it's ma- amazing, just, just as a side note, just so you know a little bit more about me, uh, I, I hate vinegar and I hate cucumbers, but I love me some pickles. So anyway, uh, <laughs> this is the concept of submersion, though, is to take something and submerge it, you know, to, to immerse it uh, in, into liquid. And, and the word immersion, it's synonymous, and it refers to something that's plunged into liquid until it's covered, and so in the context of water baptism, immersion refers to the way that the whole body of the individual being baptized is lowered into baptism waters until they're fully immersed. Well, with this being the definition, you know this rules out a lot of you know, our childhood experiences, many of us who were sprinkled as, as babies, you know, well, that's not really a baptism, and so that's something that you ought to consider as we continue to make our way through this study. And so with that. I want to take some time to now you know, help you to, to, to discover what the Bible actually says about water baptism. And as you make your way to the first chapter, I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as you're making your way there to the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, I want to take some time to, to discover what the Bible says about this sacrament of water baptism. And, and with that, I want to begin by asking, does the Bible actually teach the doctrine of baptismal regeneration? Now again, just to be clear about this, baptismal regeneration, this is based on, the, on, on this idea that you're not regenerated or born again, you're not truly a Christian, until you're baptized into water. And so with that, you know, uh, we, we ought to ask, does the Bible actually require people to be baptized by being fully immersed into water? Is, is this a necessary requirement for entering into heaven? And if so, then you know, this requirement of water baptism, well, it would be a part of the gospel message. Think about it. The, the gospel message, this is the message that helps us to understand what is required of sinners so that they might be saved. So, so the gospel message... Well, this, this would, you know, if you open up the envelope of the gospel message, everything within that envelope would, would be something that is necessary for your salvation. So, if we open up the envelope of the gospel message, would we find the doctrine of water baptism in that envelope? Well, with this question in mind, let's consider something that Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look with me there, beginning at verse 14. Here Paul declares, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For notice, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Very interesting here because, you know, as Paul says, hey, Christ didn't send me to baptize. No instead, he sent me to preach the gospel. Well, think about that. You know, if, if the gospel message, if, if baptism is part of the gospel message, and if water baptism is required for someone to embrace the gospel message, then what he's saying makes no sense. Because if baptism is necessary for salvation, then the message of baptism is synonymous with the gospel message. If the gospel message is in the envelope or or, or contains within that envelope water baptism, then Paul can't say what he's saying here. If water baptism is necessary for salvation, well, then, then it only stands to reason that water baptism would be part of the gospel message. But it's not. It's not. And you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul lays out the gospel message in in verses 2 and 3, and just spells it out as plainly as can be, and no mention of water baptism. And here Paul states, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. This statement makes no sense if baptismal regeneration is true. Just to sum all this up simply, Paul was assuring his audience that water baptism is not necessary for salvation. And not only uh, did Paul believe this, but listen, the Apostle Peter also assured us of the very same thing, that baptism, water baptism, is not necessary for salvation. And, and to make my case, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, and as you make your way to the third chapter of 1 Peter, I just want to take a moment to point out that the verses found here in 1 Peter 3, they can be a bit confusing because, you know, just a a surface reading of these verses, they seem to suggest that water baptism is necessary for salvation. And and so a simple, you know, just a simple reading of this text would lead one to think that, oh, Peter must think that water baptism is necessary. But when we take a closer look at the, the point that Peter's actually making, we begin to see that that's not the case at all. Now, in order to explain what I'm saying here, let's take a closer look here at First Peter chapter 3. I want to begin reading at verse 18. Here Peter declares, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine longsuffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us baptism. Ooh. What do we do with this? It certainly seems to me that Peter is saying that baptism saves, right? And there are many who use this verse as a proof text for teaching the doctrine of baptismal regeneration or that salvation happens at the moment of water baptism. But if we take a closer look at Peter's point, we begin to see that he's not saying that at all. He's not saying that water baptism saves us, but rather there's an anti-type which now saves, which is seen in water baptism. And so to explain all of this, I want to first remind you that Noah and his family weren't saved in the water, right? Right? Noah and his family didn't get wet during the flood. No, Peter tells us here that they were saved through the water, not in the water, they were saved through the water. Remember that the flood waters that that came down during the days of Noah, this was actually a judgment from God. You know, God was pouring out his just judgment on a wicked world because they would not repent. And so he sent the flood floodwaters to, to, to drown all those who would not repent. And with that being the case, listen, those who actually got wet in that baptism, well, they died. The, the people who got wet died. Meanwhile, Noah and his family, they were saved after being sealed up inside the ark where they were safe and dry. And so we see then that Noah and his family, they weren't saved by the water. The water didn't cleanse them. The water didn't save them. They weren't saved in the water. They were saved through the water. And they were saved from the judgment water. Now with this in mind, we should consider what Peter meant then when he refers to baptism as an antitype, which now saves us. What does that even mean? Well, with that, I encourage you to to realize that Peter here isn't pointing to water baptism as a means of salvation. No, instead, he's letting us know that the sacrament of water baptism, it's an antitype of the flood. What does that mean, antitype? Well, it's a pattern. And and so the flood and, and the ark, that whole story of Noah, is a shadow of the salvation that is revealed in Jesus Christ. And, and, and looking at it backwards, then, baptism is then an antitype that comes from the flood. Baptism was patterned, in other words. Baptism, water baptism was patterned after the flood of Noah. And listen, if water baptism is a, a, a symbolic simulation which follows the pattern of the flood, then we should take some time to consider the sacrament of baptism in light of Noah's flood. I'll remind you that the water that flooded the earth during the days of Noah, what was it? It was judgment. This wasn't some nice cleansing you know, water. This wasn't you know, water that you would bathe yourself in and stuff like that. No, this was water that people were dying in. This was water that animals were dying in. I mean, this, this judgment brought forth death. And so the water that flooded the earth during the days of Noah was God's judgment on those who refused to enter the ark. What this means, then, is that if baptism is an antitype of the flood, well, then what does the water in baptism represent? Judgment. If the water in in our baptism is an antitype of Noah's flood, well, then the water that we're baptized into represents flood water or judgment. Judgment. And as we consider the way that Noah and his family were protected from those judgment waters there inside of the ark, well, we should take a moment to ask well, what does Noah's ark represent? What, what does Noah's ark represent? If the water is judgment, then the ark would be what? Well, before I answer the question, I should remind you that the Lord Jesus was the one who sealed them into the ark. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, actually, the text says. Yod Vavhe, Vav Hey, which is the name of God. It was God who sealed Noah and his family into the ark. And as we consider the way that the infinite triune God sealed Noah and his family into this ark that protected them from the flood waters, well, I can't help but to consider the parallel of the way that the Holy Spirit seals us Christians into the mystical body of Christ at the moment of our salvation. And and with that being the case, it seems to me that the ark is clearly a type of Christ. That Noah's ark was a a shadow pointing forward to the protection that we find in Christ from the judgment of God. To further make my case, I want to remind you of something that Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3. It's there in verses 3 and 4, where he declares this, he says, You died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When we placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we were effectively rendered dead. It's no longer our lives, it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us, right? And at the same time, our life was hidden in Christ. And, and, and as we consider the way that the life of the believer has been hidden in Christ, well, it seems to me that, that the Lord Jesus then is the antitype of Noah's Ark. And what this means then is that the Ark of Noah was a shadow that was designed to point forward or and even reveal the way that our Savior would save believers from the judgment of God. That being the case, I can assure you that Peter wasn't trying to tell us that baptism is necessary for salvation. No, instead, he's letting us know that that water baptism is a symbolic sacrament which was initially revealed during the days of Noah. Baptism was initially revealed during the days of Noah's flood, and now baptism is an antitype that parallels the story of Noah. Much like Noah, you know, those... uh, uh, you know Noah was uh you know saved there by faith, and that's important to remember. Noah was saved by faith, it was the faith that he placed in the promise of God. remember God told him, build the ark, God told him that flood waters were going to come, God told him the plan, God told him to to preach so that sinners might repent and be saved and by faith, Noah did all of those things, and then came the day when God told him to. Get on the ark. God led all the animals onto the ark that, that were going to be saved. I don't know why he brought mosquitoes, but he did. But the fact is this, that you know, God led Noah and his family onto the ark, and by faith, they entered that ark. And then God sealed that ark and kept them sealed in and protected from the judgment waters. And in a sort of, you know, in a parallel sort of way, those who trust in Jesus Christ by faith are then sealed into the body of Christ, and there in the body of Christ, the judgment of God no longer affects us because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, in order to further grasp the way that the sacrament of water baptism is a symbol of salvation, I want to consider something that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. So if you would, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 6. And as you make your way to the sixth chapter of Romans, I just want to take a moment to remind you that the water is not only a symbol of God's judgment, but it's also a picture of death and the grave. That's right, the the water is a symbol of death and the grave. Therefore, water baptism is designed to symbolize the judgment of death as well as the resurrection from the grave for those who trust in Jesus. And I want to consider how Paul puts it here in Romans chapter 6. If you would look with me there beginning at verse 3, because here Paul writes, as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as, G- as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now as we read these verses, I want to assure you here that you know, when, when those who come to get baptized this coming Saturday, you know, it, it, when you come out to be water baptized, you're not literally going to die. I've only lost one so far, and uh, (laughs) now we're not talking about a literal death here. You're not being buried into a literal death. You don't have to get your. I, I don't know what's going on with the FEMA alarm or anything, but you know, you don't have to. You don't have to worry about you know dying in the in the water this weekend. This is figurative. This is symbolic. We're talking about a symbolic death and also a very spiritual death. You know, when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it was at that point in time when the stain of your sin was washed clean. And the death that Jesus died in our place was then imputed to our spiritual account. And so in that sense, we died with Christ because his death now is applied to us. Yet at the same time, his resurrection also applies to the believer as well. But water baptism, this is really just a symbolic presentation of what has spiritually already taken place, right? And with that, I want to take a moment to consider the the symbolism of water baptism, beginning with the death of Jesus Christ. It's there again in verse 4 where Paul tells us that we were buried with him through baptism into death. And from this we see that the act of submerging or submerging a person into the water, you know, that is a a symbolic picture of the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. And then in the second half of verse 4 there, Paul declares, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. And from this, uh, we can see that the person who then rises up from the baptismal waters, well, they're symbolically rising up from the grave with Christ to then live a brand new life. And so that's the picture. Of this parallel that Paul refers to in, an anti type of the flood. From this, we see then that water baptism is a symbolic demonstration of the salvation that we've received by faith in Jesus Christ. Water baptism is a symbolic demonstration, even a public proclamation, of the salvation that we've already received. By faith in Jesus Christ, and so with that, we ought to take a moment, you know, to just kind of recap all of this and sum it up. The sacrament by which a person is fully submerged into water is is what we call water baptism. It's also a spiritual sacrament that is not necessary for salvation. If a person placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and never got around to getting water baptized, guess what? They're still going to heaven. Because this is not necessary for salvation. And yet, at the same time, the sacrament of water baptism symbolizes our union with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it's a public proclamation of the decision that we've already made. And the decision I'm referring to is, of course, placing our life in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now with that, I want to consider this final section of our study tonight, and so if you would, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and as you make your way to the second chapter of Acts, we should take a moment to ask the question, who then is water baptism for? Who should be getting water baptized? And the answer, according to Peter, is that baptism is for those who repent and trust in Jesus Christ. a matter of fact, it's here in Acts chapter 2, we find Peter, he's preaching the gospel to, you know, a crowd of people. And as he's preaching this this message, you know, there's there's those who are cut to the heart, you know, they've embraced the gospel of grace, they've placed their faith in Jesus Christ at the hearing of the gospel message. And it's beginning here in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, where Luke tells us, that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when Peter says repent and be baptized, he's telling us here that, that, that water baptism is for those who have realized their need for repentance, and, their, and, and water baptism is for those who have realized their need for forgiveness, and, and water baptism is, is for those who have received the grace of God by faith in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so water baptism is for Christians who have been saved from the punishment that we deserve by faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And, and with that, you know, we also see a, a similar situation at the house of Cornelius. Later on, you know, Peter is preaching the gospel to the Gentiles at the house of Cornelius. And they believe in the gospel and immediately start speaking in tongues. And Peter says, well, now they're speaking in tongues. Who can forbid them from being baptized, Right. Like they're already speaking in tongues, showing the evidence that, that the Holy Spirit had fallen upon the house of Cornelius, meaning that they had already placed their faith in the gospel message. So Peter says, guess we can't stop them from getting baptized now. And that's what he does. He goes and baptizes them. Why? Well, because there was clear evidence that they had already become believers. Water baptism is for believers, water baptism is for those who have become the disciples of Christ. And this leads us to the next question, which is this. Well, how do we go about baptizing people? And the answer to this question is found in uh, Matthew chapter 28. And so if you would, let's turn to the 28th chapter of Matthew's gospel account. And as you're turning to Matthew 28, I just want to take a moment to remind you that the word baptism, uh, again, it speaks of immersion or submersion. And it's for this reason that, that I fully submerge those who are being baptized. That's the the instruction here. The, The very word baptism speaks of submersion, and so that's what we do. I also follow the instructions that Jesus presents here in Matthew chapter 28, and if you would look with me there at verse 19, here Jesus, after his resurrection, stands before his apostles and says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And as I always like to point out, you know, when it comes to this command to baptize them, who is the them in the verse? Come on, English Mangers. Who is the them in the verse? He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, the disciples. So baptism is for the disciples of Christ, and it's done in this way. We submerge into water and in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As we consider this verse, we see that a proper water baptism is performed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I could make an argument that you know, this would be yod He vav or Jehovah or Yahweh or however you want to say it. You know, because that is the name of God. And then the name of the Logos incarnate is Jesus. But the name of our triune God is yod Vavhe or Yahweh. And so we could, you know, go about baptizing in the name of Yahweh. That would be uh, something that we could do. But in this case, I don't think we're talking about the literal name of, but rather the authority that, that represents the name. Consider the command stop. In the name of the law. I'm sure that some of you guys have heard that at some point in time. Stop in the name of the law. What's the name of the law? George? You know, is the the name of the law Sam? What is the name of the law? Well, it's not, there's not a name. The the name of the law is a reference to the authority of the law. Well, in, in this sense, you know, when... Jesus says to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we do here at Calvary South Austin. We baptize we baptized people in the authority and in the character and in the power of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, I'm not baptizing you in the authority of Pastor Bungie. It's not my authority. It's the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when I baptize people... I baptize believers, fully submerging them into water by the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so to wrap it all up, water baptism is the act of being fully submerged into water. It's a spiritual sacrament that is not necessary for salvation, but rather it's a sacrament that someone who is saved ought to, ought to engage in because it symbolizes our union with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's a symbolic sacrament that's performed on believers by the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So with that, you know, I've uh, summed up and wrapped up this study on water baptism. And uh, I want I to uh, begin a Q&A time, but let's go ahead and, and just close this off with a word of prayer, and, and then we'll uh, engage in a time of Q&A.